Part 2. Jurisdiction. Although both parties agree that the court has jurisdiction over former President Trump's appeal, Amicus Curiae American Oversight raises a threshold question about our collateral order jurisdiction. In every case, we must assure ourselves of our jurisdiction. Under 28 U.S.C. Section 1291, which grants us jurisdiction over final decisions of the district courts, we ordinarily do not have jurisdiction to hear a defendant's appeal in a criminal case prior to conviction and sentencing. The collateral order doctrine, however, treats as final and thus allows us to exercise appellate jurisdiction over a small class of interlocutory decisions that conclusively determine the disputed question, resolve an important issue completely separate from the merits of the action, and are effectively unreviewable on appeal from a final judgment. The district court's denial of former President Trump's immunity defense unquestionably satisfies the first two requirements, and thus we focus our analysis on the third, whether the denial of immunity is effectively unreviewable on appeal from a final judgment. District court orders rejecting claims of civil immunity are quintessential examples of collateral orders. But in Midland Asphalt Corp. v. United States, the Supreme Court counseled that the collateral order doctrine is interpreted with the utmost strictness in criminal cases. The Midland Asphalt Court emphasized that criminal collateral orders that are based on a right not to be tried must rest upon an explicit statutory or constitutional guarantee that trial will not occur singling out the Double Jeopardy Clause and the Speech or Debate Clause. Former President Trump does not raise a straightforward claim under the Double Jeopardy Clause, but instead relies on the Impeachment Judgment Clause and what he calls Double Jeopardy Principles. The Double Jeopardy Principle he relies on is a negative implication drawn from the Impeachment Judgment Clause. Thus, he does not invoke our jurisdiction based on the explicit grant of immunity found in the Double Jeopardy Clause. Nevertheless, we can exercise jurisdiction for two reasons. First, Midland asphalt is distinguishable and does not require immunity to derive from an explicit textual source. Second, the theories of immunity former President Trump asserts are sufficient to satisfy Midland asphalt under circuit precedent. A. Distinguishing Midland Asphalt Midland asphalt dealt with the third prong of the collateral order test in the context of criminal defendants who argued they were entitled to immediately appeal the denial of their motion to dismiss an indictment because the government had violated Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 6E2's requirement of grand jury secrecy. The Supreme Court held that an order is effectively unreviewable on appeal only where the order at issue involves an asserted right, the legal and practical value of which would be destroyed if it were not vindicated before trial. The court rejected the defendant's argument that the denial of the motion satisfied the third prong. 
it explained that it is true that deprivation of the right not to be tried satisfied the Coopers and Lybrand requirement of being effectively unreviewable on appeal from final judgment, but held that defendants had not asserted a right against trial in the sense relevant for purposes of the exception to the final judgment rule. The reason the defendant's argument failed, the Midland Asphalt Court held, was that it overlooked the crucial distinction between a right not to be tried and a right whose remedy requires the dismissal of charges. A right not to be tried in the sense relevant to the collateral order doctrine rests upon an explicit statutory or constitutional guarantee that trial will not occur, as in the Double Jeopardy Clause or the Speech or Debate Clause. By contrast, Rule 6E2 did not give rise to a right not to stand trial, but instead merely created a right to secret grand jury proceedings, the violation of which could be remedied through the indictment's dismissal. American Oversight's argument hinges on the court's use of the adjective explicit, a word that appears only once in the Midland Asphalt opinion. The court has repeatedly and recently cautioned against reading too much into too little, reminding us that the language of an opinion is not always to be parsed as though we were dealing with the language of a statute. Instead, opinions must be read with a careful eye to context and the particular work that quoted language performs within an opinion. The Supreme Court itself has hinted, although not squarely held, that Midland Asphalt's language should not be read literally. In Digital Equipment Corp. v. Desktop Direct, Inc. from 1994, the court quoted the relevant sentence from Midland Asphalt and characterized it as a suggestion. The court then weighed the argument that Midland Asphalt's comment is dictum because the court allows interlocutory review of other implied immunities, including qualified immunity. The court did not concede the point, however, as it pointed out that Midland Asphalt is a criminal case, and Mitchell v. Forsyth, 1985, is a civil case. But it allowed that even if Mitchell could not be squared fully with the literal words of the Midland Asphalt sentence— that would be only because the qualified immunity right is inexplicit, not because it lacks a good pedigree in public law. It then noted the insight that explicitness may not be needed for jurisdiction consistent with 1291. The court ultimately chose to reject the petitioner's argument on a different basis, so it did not squarely resolve how to interpret Midland Asphalt but a fair reading contemplates that there are exceptions to Midland Asphalt's broad statement. Other courts have held to that effect. There is good reason not to read Midland Asphalt literally here. Read in context, the court's use of explicit was simply to contrast a right against trial and a right that entitles the defendant to the dismissal of charges. The latter can be vindicated through appeal after a final judgment, but the former cannot. The court was not addressing an issue as to which it was necessary to distinguish between explicit and implied rights against trial, 
Instead, it addressed the defendant's assertion that the violation of the federal rules of criminal procedure entitled them to immediate review. Thus, explicit did not perform any particular work within the opinion, meaning it would be a mistake to make a doctrinal mountain out of a verbal molehill. Nor was the question presented in Midland Asphalt anything like the one before us. Procedural rules are worlds different from a former president's asserted immunity from federal criminal liability. The Supreme Court has repeatedly emphasized that the president is sui generis. In the civil context, the court has held that the denial of the president's assertion of absolute immunity is immediately appealable in light of the special solicitude due to claims alleging a threatened breach of essential presidential prerogatives under the separation of powers. And in United States v. Nixon, the court waived the typical requirement that the president risk contempt before appealing because it would be unseemly to require the president to do so merely to trigger the procedural mechanism for review of the ruling. It would be equally unseemly for us to require that former President Trump first be tried in order to secure review of his immunity claim after final judgment. When the court instructs us to read its opinions with a careful eye to context, it authorizes us to consider the special solicitude due a former president. One final reason not to overread a single adjective in Midland Asphalt is that there is no apparent reason to treat an implicit constitutional immunity from trial differently from an explicit one for interlocutory review. Midland Asphalt certainly did not provide one. The ultimate source of our appellate jurisdiction is 28 U.S.C. Section 1291, which extends to the final decision of the district court. There is no basis in the statutory text to treat the denial of an explicit immunity as final, but the denial of an implicit immunity as non-final. In both cases, the deprivation of the right not to be tried would be effectively unreviewable on appeal from a final judgment. Whether explicit or implicit in the Constitution, the right not to stand trial must be vindicated before trial or not at all. B. Circuit Precedent Our circuit precedent has taken a broad view of Midland Asphalt, consistently holding that the denial of a right not to stand trial is immediately appealable if the right is similar or analogous to one provided in the Constitution. Both of former President Trump's asserted sources of immunity, separation of powers and double jeopardy principles, fit within this window of appealability. Our case law includes United States v. Rose, a civil case in which we held that Congressman Rose's standalone separation of powers immunity was reviewable under Section 1291 because it served the same function as a claim of speech or debate clause immunity. 
Congressman Rose argued that he had immunity from the DOJ's suit against him because the action was barred by the speech or debate clause, and separately because the separation of powers doctrine barred the DOJ from suing him when a congressional committee had already investigated him. We held that the latter claim falls within the collateral order doctrine, recognizing claims of immunity based on the separation of powers doctrine as an additional exception to the general rule against interlocutory appeals. Granted, we acknowledge that the separation of powers doctrine does not provide as precise a protection as the speech or debate clause, but we focused on the equivalent reasons for vindicating, in advance of trial, whatever protection it affords. We confirmed Rose's applicability in the criminal context in United States v. Durenberger, 1995. There, former Senator Durenberger sought to dismiss an indictment, arguing, based on separation of powers, that the district court was powerless to decide whether he had violated the Senate's rules, a prerequisite of its assessment of criminal charges against him. He thus claimed that as a former member of the Senate, he cannot be held to answer criminal charges when his liability depends on judicial usurpation of the Senate's exclusive right to formulate its internal rules. We held that this colorable argument was sufficient to confer appellate jurisdiction under Rose. Notably, the constitutional text invoked in Durenberger can hardly be said to create an explicit right not to stand trial. As we explained in a subsequent case, both Rose and Durenberger rest on the rationale that the separation of powers doctrine conferred an analogous and comparable privilege to the speech or debate clause. Following the Supreme Court's lead in Abney v. United States, 1977, we have also allowed interlocutory review by analogizing to the explicit constitutional immunity in the Double Jeopardy Clause. In United States v. Trebelsi, we exercised interlocutory appellate jurisdiction of the defendant's invocation of a treaty's non-bis-in-item provision, which mirrored the Constitution's prohibition of double jeopardy. The treaty provision's similarity to the constitutional guarantee we held was enough to bring the appeal within the scope of ABNY. Former President Trump's two arguments can be analogized to explicit constitutional immunities, which is all that Durenberger and Trebelsi require. His separation of powers argument does not explicitly draw on the speech or debate clause, but neither did the argument in Durenberger. The immunity for official acts former President Trump asserts is closely akin to a claim of speech or debate clause immunity, making it immediately appealable because there are equivalent reasons for vindicating it in advance of trial. Likewise, the defense argues that the impeachment judgment clause incorporates a double jeopardy principle. We found a similar line of reasoning convincing in Trebelsi. If a treaty provision that mirrors the double jeopardy clause falls within the collateral order doctrine, 
so does a constitutional clause that purportedly attaches jeopardy to a Senate's impeachment acquittal. Both of former President Trump's arguments are at least analogous enough to the speech or debate clause or the double jeopardy clause to fit within our precedent. Nor will exercising jurisdiction here put us in conflict with other circuits, as American oversight suggests. The chief cases on which American oversight relies are readily distinguishable because in each, the asserted right against trial was not grounded solely in either the Constitution or a statute. Accordingly, we conclude that we have jurisdiction to reach the merits of former President Trump's appeal. We've come to the end of part two of this opinion, but don't worry, next episode we will pick up exactly where we left off, picking up with part three, executive immunity. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.